apologize. I missed my cue there. How are you guys doing today? For those of you that don't know me, my name is Luke Gradless. I have the great honor of being one of the pastors here at Harmony Baptist Church. Uh, our other pastor is Brother Joe Canales, who will be helping me with Lord's Supper here in a little bit. Um, before we jump into today's series, let me just cover a few announcements that we need to go over. So, Saturday, big day for us. We got our Fall Fest. It's from 6 to 9 p.m. here at church. We still need a few things. So, we still need people to donate candy. Because uh, apparently on Halloween people eat candy. I didn't know about this. Um, but we need candy for the kids. Honestly, I'm not really concerned about the games as much as long as we have candy. If we have candy, we can buy the little children off. We'll be okay. So we need candy. We do need people to help work the games. So uh, we have how many games, Diane? Six or seven different games for the kids to play. We just need people to come, staff those, work those, uh, help us out with that. The other thing we still need is baked goods for the cakewalk. So three things there, candy, volunteers, and baked goods for the cakewalk, all right? If you do bring your uh, baked goods to the church, do not give them to Alan. I have seen sometimes that when he gets the baked goods, they, they have an issue of getting back to us. <laughs> so glad you're back, brother. Um, so everybody good on that? We good there? Also, next Sunday is our quarterly family worship. So if you haven't been here before, what we like to do is we have a full-blown children's program that we run for our guys. We believe it's so important to reach those kids in a level that makes sense to them, uh, with lessons that they understand, with music that they understand. But we also think there's huge value for them coming into church because what we want them to know is they're part of Harmony. They are part of this body just like you and me are. And so once a quarter, what we like to do is we bring everybody together. We bring our Spanish service in, we bring our English service in, and we bring our children's church in, and we all worship together. So that's next Sunday. Uh, typically what we'll do is we'll do a little bit more singing than normal, hopefully a little bit shorter of a sermon. Me and Joe try. We try. And then what we'll do is afterwards we'll get together, we'll have a meal, and we'll kind of update you on some of the big things that are happening at church. So that is next Sunday. All right? Everybody got that? All right. Now, visitors, this next portion is not for you because I'm about to yell at my congregation. So just this portion here, you guys could just act like I'm saying really nice stuff. Members, we need help in the children's program. I know I've been saying this, but here's what I've been expecting. I've been expecting that when I'd say we need help in the children's program, that after service there would be people coming to me going, I want to help in the children's program. What's been happening is, is people go, yep, we do need help in the children's program. And that's it. So we still have our, what we do is, let me just give you a little details about the children's program because sometimes you have misconceptions about it. What we are asking from volunteers is we are asking you to give one Sunday a month for about an hour and a half to hang out with the kids. How it works is you have three teachers and you have one floater. So your ratio of students to teachers is like one to five. So don't have this vision that for two hours I'm going to throw you in a room with 30 kids and say good luck. It's going to be four adults working with 20 kids with a robust curriculum, Bible lessons, music, games. It's all planned out. We just need people who are willing to walk the kids through it, show them love, pay attention to them. Okay? Uh, where this is a big deal to me is a couple places. One, our kids are the greatest gift God has given us. So if we won't step up to take care of them, I have concerns about how we're going to do the rest of the stuff we want to do. The second thing is we have a big goal here. We want to be a church that's not just a country club. We want to be an organism of change. We want to be the body of Christ that goes out into this world and shows love, power, and self-discipline. Well, 
I get a little concerned about our ability to change the community and the world if we can't even watch our own children. Kind of makes me concerned if we can't do that, we might struggle with some of those bigger things. So I'm please going to ask you guys to think about it and consider it. And my hope is this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to have people coming to me going, sign me up. I'm ready to do this. All right. Now, I get it. A lot of you, it's not your comfort zone. I get a lot of you go, I don't know how that's going to work out. A lot of us will go, I don't know if God specifically called me to that. Take this as God tapping you on the shoulder. All right? And what I can promise you is you can talk to Anna, you can talk to Diane, you can talk to Nicole. I did children's ministry for 10 years. I always got way more back than I gave. Always got way more back. Yes, it takes away your energy. Yes, it is work. But it is beautiful to watch those little souls learning about who Jesus Christ is. It is beautiful to watch them sing. It is beautiful to watch them pray. And if we all step up for this, the weight won't be that heavy to carry. So please think about that. Consider that we definitely need help. We need it now. And if you haven't noticed, which would be hard to notice with my wife, she has a baby coming. And when the baby comes, there will be a stretch where she won't be able to be back there. And she's back there three out of the four weeks right now. All right? Everybody got that? Good. Visitors, you can start listening to me again. All right? Thank you. All right, let's jump in. So we are our second week of the series called I Am. And in this series, what we're going through is we're going through the seven statements that Jesus makes in the book of John that start with, I am. Now, the beauty of these statements is a few things. And so let's break down to what we said is the key to this series. We said the key to this series is is understanding what Jesus is trying to convey to you and me in these statements. I'll kind of give you an analogy I, I had with my son. I don't know if I've told this one with you before, but recently, if you haven't been here, I I just made the decision to go ahead and cut the hair down really low um, because I realized the comb over just wasn't working. It just was no longer working. Uh, It was funny, though, because a few weeks ago, my son was in the bathroom with me getting ready, and he goes, Dad, I like your new haircut. I said, thanks, buddy. He goes, it's way better than that fake hair you used to have. (laughs) And I said, fake hair? And he's like, yeah, you know that hair you had? And, and he did this with his hands. He's like, it was like, it was like hair, but not really. You know, like that fake hair. I'm so glad you don't have that anymore. And I was like, thanks, buddy. Thank you. What I loved about it is for years, all you guys have been lying to me, telling me, not that bad. Not that bad. And my toddler's like, no, it was bad. Didn't even look like real hair, Dad. Didn't even look like real hair. No, let me transition to that. Some of us, we have a fake Jesus. Some of us have a fake Jesus. Some of us think we have a real Jesus. Some of us think we have a real relationship. But here's what we really have. We have one that we have created in our own minds and in our own heads to suit our own purposes. And what we haven't done is we haven't gone to God's word and we haven't seen who Jesus was revealed to us by God's word. What the true image of Christ is. And I'll be honest, we, we do this all the time. All the time. I've told you before, I, I, Christian art often gets me with Jesus. Why? We get the Barry Gibb looking Jesus. If you don't know who Barry Gibb is, go Google it, right? But we get the Bee Gees, the long flowing hair, beautiful beard, right? And always like what? Holding children, petting a sheep, quietly in prayer. Read the book. There are moments the man is peaceful. There is moments he is calm and cool. There is moments where he absolutely is the most compassionate human being on the face of the earth. 
But for the most of the time, he was stirring up trouble. For the most of the time, he was out there calling out truth in the midst of darkness. He was out there calling out hypocrisy. He was out there loving the unloved, and people hated him for it. It's why they killed him. But we have painted this soft, easy to handle, easy to digest Jesus. Why? Two reasons. One, it's a lot less intimidating to think of him as a powerful person. A lot less intimidating. Why? Because if he's a powerful person, that means he has power over our own lives. So instead, we've made him this soft, compassionate, backup plan, best buddy, good friend. I can go to him when times are tough. The second thing that we've done is we've turned Jesus not into our Lord, but just into our Savior. There's a reason we call him both Lord and Savior. See, nobody complains about what Jesus did on the cross. Everybody is fine with a guy coming and paying a price that you could never pay on your own. What we don't like is that after that, he wants to be my day-to-day Lord. That after saving me, what he wants in a relationship from us is not me just to acknowledge a one-time sacrifice that he made, but for me to say from this point forward, Lord, you are Lord, I am servant. And what I've often said is how you know the difference of this in your life is, is in your prayers, if you are more asking God to bless your will, than you are asking Him to show Him your, His, you got a problem. Amen. You should not be regularly going to God going, here's my will, God, make it happen. God, here's my plan. Use your power and your wisdom to make it come true. You should be falling on your knees going, God, reveal to me your will. And then I will do anything and everything I can to make your will happen. Because we're the servants. We're not the kings. And so in these seven statements with Jesus, what we really get to is his declaration of who he is and what he stands for. And what I want you doing as we go through these is to think about two things. One, is it the same Jesus you've been praying to? Is it the same Jesus you've been praying to? And two, for a a second, step back and realize... Not every time we preach, not every time we read the Word, is it about moral application. A lot of times we read the Word and we're like, okay, this means I should do that. This means I should start acting this way. This means I should change this behavior. Christianity is not about behavior modification. The purpose of you being here is not so you become the best version of you. The purpose of you being here is to come face to face with the Almighty God. And to realize that He is holy, that He is righteous, and that He is awesome. And that in seeing Him, and knowing Him, and hearing His voice, you decide from that moment on, you will do everything you can to walk with Him, to serve Him, and to be with Him. It is about a passionate relationship where you go, all I know is from here on out, I have to be with you. And as long as I'm with you, I don't care what happens. Those are the things we've got to start thinking about and paying attention to. So let's jump in. What we said to the key of the series. First off is knowing the power in just the words, I am. In Exodus 3.14, it said this about when God presented himself to Moses. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, which literally means I am who I am. 
God's point was, is well, other gods created by men were pigeonholed to certain things. The God of love, the God of war, the God of wisdom, the God of peace, the God of whatever. God goes, you can't box me in. I am God. I am what I choose to be. I can at one moment be compassionate and I can be at the next vengeful. I can be at one moment soft. I can be at the next moment full of anger and wrath. I can be the most powerful force you've ever dealt with and I can be the softest whisper that compassionately consoles you. I can be anything and any of those things at any time that I choose to be. Don't think you restrict me. That's why he said, I am who I am. The second thing I want you to keep in mind is what John 1.14 says to us. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as only the begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's that mean? It means to us that Jesus is the Word of God. And through His life, through His actions, through His words, we have our clearest picture of who the Father is. So if we are going to fulfill our mission as a church, which is to love God and to love people and to follow Jesus, one of the biggest things that you and I better be able to know is who is Jesus and who is God? If I'm going to love them, meaning I will joyfully sacrifice for them, i got to know who they are. And when I talk about who they are, it can't be just a list of facts. It can't just be things they did. It has to be real stories of what they've done for me in my life, of the personality that they have and what they mean to me. It needs to sound more like how I describe my mom or my dad or my wife than it should sound like how I describe some fictional character or a celebrity that I don't know. We've got to have that kind of relationship. Now last week we went through the first one. And so we said a couple things. We said whenever you hear the words I am, that's stating Jesus is God. It's a clear message he's saying. All these I am statements, when he says I am, just those two words alone are declaring to everybody who listens, I'm God. Now last week we talked about what? The bread of life. So he said I am the bread of life. And the key we discussed is Jesus' point in that was Jesus is life. Just like you need food and water to sustain you and to keep you alive, what Jesus goes is spiritually, you don't need food, spiritually you need me. Spiritually, you must take me in to keep life running in you. That was his point last week. And this week we get to his second statement, which is he says, I am the light of the world. Alright? So let's break down what that's going to tell us. He says, I am the light of the world. Jump with me to John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the seat in front of you. As I always say, if you don't have a Bible at home, you take the one that's sitting in front of you. That's a gift to you. This is your greatest friend. You've got to know it. You've got to love it. You've got to use it. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So there's some power happening here. Jesus is standing in the temple. And in fact, where he's standing is a place called the treasury. So if you've ever seen the temple, how it's designed is it's kind of a, a square within a square within a square. And each square you got closer to the center was closer to your being in the presence of God Almighty. And so how this, the temple was structured is you had this outer circle that was where the Gentiles could be, so non-believers. Then you had an inner square in between that was the, the court of women. And that was where the women and uh, God-fearers were allowed to be. So God-fearers would be non-Jewish people, but that respected God, knew he existed, and feared him. In that courtyard, you also had the treasury, which was uh, basically just like our giving box back there. Back then, you didn't pass plates. You, you had a box that you came in and you put your offering into. And there was 13 different boxes. Each box was uh, an offering to a specific thing for a specific tax that God had on his people. Then on the inside, you had the court of uh, priests, and he had an inner sanctum in, in there. But so Jesus is in this courtyard, he's in this most populated place, and he is talking, and we know who is present is a lot of people, because it's the Feast of Tabernacle. So he has a lot of regular people there, but he also has the Pharisees and Sadducees, his two biggest enemies. And so he's preaching this, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now... You and I, when we look at this often, we'll go, well, yeah, that's, that's a really great, beautiful descriptor, right? And, and you could go like, yeah, that makes sense, right? The world's darkness, there's sin, there's evil, Jesus is the light, he shines on it. Like, hey, great analogy. There's more depth to it than just that, and that's what I want to peel back for you today. Of course, that's a great analogy, right? If you've ever been in a deep, dark place, you don't like it. You don't like it. I've told you before, like, it's amazing how even in your own house that you maybe lived in for years, if the lights go out in the middle of the night, you all of a sudden don't know where you are. You're running into stuff, you can't find your place, way around the room, right? It's like, it's like a strange environment you've never been in. Even as a child, right? First thing when those lights go off, what does your mind start doing to you? It starts playing tricks, right? What was that noise? What was that? What's that shape over there? What's that shadow over there? There's fear, there's doubt, there's these things that creep in. And even the littlest of lights in the darkest of places provides us hope. It provides us hope. And when lots of light comes in, man, it's like our, our eyes have been opened. We can see. The fear subsides. And so even just in the straight-up analogy of he's light in the midst of darkness, you go, that's beautiful. But there's more to it here. If you have your Bibles and you want to flip with me, go to Isaiah 42, 5-7. In Isaiah 42, you're going to hear some very, very similar words from God talking about who the Messiah is. So remember, Jesus, the reason we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospel, the good news, is, is that Jesus was this person who we'd been waiting for forever. In Genesis, early on, what happens? Sin messed everything up, right? Remember VBS this year? Sin messed everything up. People chose not to obey God. Sin comes into the world and it breaks everything. From like that moment on, do you know what God starts doing? 
designing a way to save people. Amen. And the way he talks about all throughout the Old Testament is the Messiah's coming. One day, there will be a man I will send you, and he will make everything right. And so literally, for thousands of years, the Israelites are waiting on the Messiah. And so, in the good news, the gospel, the reason we call it that is when you've been waiting thousands of years for someone to show up, and they do, you go, hey, that's good. That's awesome. That's great news. You're here. We've been waiting. So in Isaiah 42, what we have is we have an Old Testament scripture talking about the Messiah. And so I want you to listen to it and see if anything jumps out to you. 42.5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for all the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. See what he said there? He says, the Messiah will come and say, I am the light of all nations. What did Jesus say in John? I am the light of the world. So besides this just being a great analogy of, hey, I'm light in the midst of darkness, Jesus is standing in front of the Pharisees who already don't like him, and he recites Old Testament scripture looking at them going, I am the light of all nations. Those men sat there and they knew exactly what he was saying. This wasn't just a beautiful analogy. He was looking at them and declaring in as simple terms as he could, besides just saying it, I'm the Messiah. Amen. I am the Messiah. And so when we talk about the statement, I am the light of the world, it means Jesus is declaring in this moment, I'm the Messiah. Now that's a big thing. Because it means, one, he clearly understood who he was, he clearly understood what he was here to do, and he clearly understood what he was going to go through to do it. Because what the Old Testament is unbelievably clear about is not only will the Messiah save us, but the Messiah will go through unbelievable pain and torment to do so. Now, brothers and sisters, stepping back for a second and just remembering who our Jesus is, that's amazing to me. There's a lot of people, I think, that would sacrifice in the moment, unknowingly, for another human being. Right? Split-second decision. You just jump in. You don't think about the consequences. You don't think about the pain. You just kind of act off instinct and you do something right. It is a totally different thing when you tell someone, here's exactly what's going to happen. Here's exactly what you're going to go through. This is exactly how painful, difficult, and hard it is going to be. You will die on this. Do you want to go do that? Because now it's not about instinct anymore. Now it's about you fully understanding the weight of what is being asked of you and saying, yes, I want to do that. I want to be part of that. I want to make that sacrifice. Tells you a lot about his character tells you a lot about the love that he had for us. When he was on that cross, he wasn't surprised at what he was going through. He'd been waiting for it for 33 years. Now kids, you can attest to this. Is the worst thing not in the world when mom looks at you and goes, wait till your father gets home. 
Oh my God, I hated that. In fact, it was worse punishment the hours I was waiting for Father to get home than it was when he actually got home. In fact, often he'd get home and be like, boy, don't do that again. And that was it. And I'm like, that's it? I've been sitting in my room sweating bullets for hours rehearsing my speeches and explaining to you why this wasn't that big of a deal. And all you're going to do is say, don't do that again? I almost think we need a worse punishment here, all right? To make up for all that worry. I mean, in fact, most of you, have you ever had like several of these moments in your life where you realize you ruined weeks, months, days of your life waiting for something terrible that you knew was going to happen and then it never did? Have you ever done that? And you're like, I'm such an idiot. I spent weeks, weeks, like dreading this moment, making it to be this huge, unbelievable thing. And then I get here and it's like, oh, that really wasn't that bad. I made it way, way worse than it ever was. Jesus knew exactly why he was coming to earth. Jesus knew every moment that he was alive what was going to happen. Jesus knew every moment when the crowds were flocking him and cheering his name that very soon they were all going to flip on him and call him for his death. He knew all that. And he still did it. The other thing I love is do you not get the boldness of this man? These guys already hate him. They have the power to kill him because they think he's declaring himself the son of God. In the midst of this, where they're threatening him, what does he do? He stands in what they think is their temple, looks at him and goes, I'm the Messiah. In case you were confused, thinking, I think I'm this, let me just declare it for you. I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. I am exactly what Isaiah was talking about. I'm exactly who you've been waiting for. Oh my goodness. He's not afraid. He's not scared. That's why when later his disciples stand in front of courts and their lives are on the line and they boldly proclaim their testimony, the judges go, you belong to Jesus, don't you? Because the only time we've ever seen bold people like this is people who follow Jesus. Gosh, I wish that was the testimony today. Most people today, you ask them what you know about a Christian and you hear about hypocrisy and judgment and all kinds of junk. Back then you'd ask them, what do you think about a Christian? And they go, I don't know. Their beliefs are a little weird, but those are, those are, don't mess with those people. They are bold, they are powerful, and they will not back down. Don't think you can intimidate them. They are afraid of nothing. Amen. Man, I wish they'd say that about us today. That we reflect that kind of boldness. Now look, is there power in this statement of I am the light? Yes, absolutely. So not only is he declaring the Messiah, but he's also declaring a truth of just what Jesus' presence does. Look throughout many of these passages here. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? This imagery of light has always been a powerful thing that God uses to associate with himself and with his Son. And it kind of makes sense. Think back in the beginning. In the beginning there was nothing. And then in what? A burst of light. God makes everything happen. Light has always been associated with Him. It has warmth. It lets you see. It gets away the darkness. Look at 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. That God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. He is this powerful force 
One of my favorites, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Right? No matter how black or bleak or dark it gets around you, it will never 100% knock that light out. It can't. It doesn't have that power. It doesn't have that power. Ephesians 5.11 Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So not only is He the light, but we the people who follow Him because we are the body of Christ. What are we supposed to start looking like in our own life? You and I are starting to reflect in that light. Light so much so that not only can the darkness not impact us, but we have a different effect on society. Not only do we not partake in the darkness, but where we go, the darkness starts to go away. Amen. You ever want to see if you're truly walking in the Spirit, the Spirit of power, love, and self-discipline? What you will know is not only can you keep your own house clean, but you start to have an effect that when you're with people, you make that world better. Amen. Not because of who you are, but because you reflect Him. You reflect His light, and it makes things different. That's the kind of effect that we want to have. Because that's the power of Christ in our lives. Look at Ecclesiastes 2.14. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happened to all of them. He's saying fools walk in darkness. They don't see anything in front of them. And you know, we've talked about that. The, the whole New Testament is about who could see and who couldn't. Jesus' disciples were not the most talented people. In fact, often they're fools. They're not highly educated. They're not highly respected. They're not rich. They don't have great influence. Often they themselves are completely confused by what he's saying and doing. But here was the one difference between them and everybody else. When Jesus would perform miracles, the rest of the people would go, Hey, that's cool. That's entertaining. That's fun. They would go, That's God. I don't get it, but this man is God. Amen. When the rest of the people saw a bunch of fish show up, they were astonished. Peter fell on his feet and go, God, depart from me. I'm a sinner. What he realized was, this is just not some man. This is God standing before me. Now, they didn't get everything he said. They didn't get all the instructions they had. They didn't even understand everything that was happening. But what they could see is, this is God. He's working, and I need to follow him. And to be honest, that's all you and I ever need to do. We'll never get it all. There will be great moments of confusion in our life. But there should be enough evidence for us to look and go, I know where God is, I know what He wants of me, and I will do it. Because I want to be with Him. Now there's another imagery that I didn't even understand until this week. Jesus is just, He's such a masterful storyteller. He, he's, he's, he's so unbelievable in how he crafts these things. And it's easy for us to miss. So like, think back to last week, right? He's talking about being the bread of life. To who? To a bunch of people who the day before had watched him take a loaf of bread, break it, and miraculously feed 15,000 people. Then the next day, those people come back to him looking for what? Bread. And to them he goes... I am the bread of life. Why does he use that? He's going, hey, you're, you're, you're looking for this substance, this thing that you think will take away your pain and your hurt, but this won't do it. I will. The real bread you need is me. 
So you've come here searching for food. Let me talk to you about real food. Well, here, he talks about being the light of the world. And, well, of course, it's a reference back to the Old Testament. I'd always wondered, why in this setting the light? Well, this is a picture of what the inner sanctum of the temple looked like. During the Feast of Tabernacles, what the people were celebrating is how God, in the Exodus, was with the people of Israel. And so, in the Old Testament, when God is with the people of Israel through the wilderness, He presents Himself in two ways. During the day, He is a large cloud. And this cloud lets Him know that, one, He's there, and two, think, if you're walking through the desert all day long, what would you really like? Some shade, right? Throw me some shade. I mean, as Texas people, we understand that, right? Shade is a beautiful thing in the hot weather. Now, at night, that cloud would change into a cloud of fire, which provided warmth and provided light. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, a beautiful thing happened in the courtyard of women. Besides all of these treasury boxes that were around, they would bring in these huge candelabras, these big stands of candles, and they would light them. And so this tabernacle, as the sun would be setting, would become this square of light that would almost light up through the entire city. And so think, here's Jesus standing in this dark courtyard preaching as lights are being lit and as this courtyard is coming to life. And as the people are sitting there with their own eyes watching the impact and the beauty of light, Jesus goes, I am the light of the world. You think this light is beautiful. You don't know half of it. If you think this light provides you warmth, if you think this light gives you comfort, if you think this light gives you hope, I am a greater light than it could ever be. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, for I am the light of life. Man, what a beautiful way to tell that story. It gives me goosebumps to think about being those people in that moment watching him give that sermon. What a masterful storyteller using the scenery around them to bring to life the truth of God. So beautiful. I am the light of the world. And what he's calling back to is he's calling back to that moment in Exodus of that cloud of fire just leading the people. You know why I love that story of the cloud of fire? Is to me it's so much like life. The people are literally wandering in the wilderness. They're wandering in the wilderness. Most of the time they have no clue where they're going. They have no clue what tomorrow holds. They have no clue where their food will come from. They have no clue where their protection will come from. They have no clue of what enemies they will run into. But they're not afraid. Why? Because everywhere they go, they know I'm following God. The one thing they do know is who God is and that they're following Him. And knowing just those two things are enough to get them through wandering through the wilderness. They don't need to know anything about anything else except we know who God is and I know I'm following Him. Those two things are the key to life. And what Jesus is saying here, I'm that light. Follow me. 
I'm the light of the world. Don't just acknowledge me. Don't just see me. Don't just be in awe of me. Follow me. I'm a light that moves. I am leading you somewhere. I am guiding you somewhere. Follow. So many of us, we have become spectators. We sit and we watch. God's saying, don't watch. Come. Join. Be part of the journey. Move. Brothers and sisters, so many places in life, the cool things we don't get to do. I mean, it, it just we are a society who just like zones out on the screen. We watch people play sports, but we don't play sports. We watch people go on adventures, but we don't go on adventures. We watch people live in the wilderness, but we don't live in the wilderness. Shoot, we even watch people argue with their own family instead of arguing with our family. Which some of you need to do more of. I know that sounds weird, but some of you, you just ain't talking anymore. You will literally watch strangers argue with each other and go eat food and be like, that's entertaining. Go do it yourself. Like, I get when you're watching the NFL going, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. And guys, don't try to. Because most of the time at our ages, when we go try to, somebody's going to an ambulance. All right? But you can actually spend time with your family. You can actually have those moments. Jesus is looking at all of us going, stop being spectators. Follow me. And we will go do things that people can't dream about. We will go do things that change the world. We will go do things that will bring love where there is only hate. We will go do things that change eternity. I'm the light. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' light never goes out. So if you're sitting in darkness right now, it's not because He's not giving off light. It's because you've stopped following. It's because you've stopped taking those steps. Get right with God and pay attention to that light. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus is not easy. I don't want you to think I'm saying that. The reason it's not easy is he doesn't ask for just a little bit. He asks for everything. He says if you want to follow him, what do you do? You lose your life. Now what will he give you back? A far greater life than you had. But you must give up your old one. As your God, as your Lord, as the Messiah, He wants you to give Him everything you are and everything you have. And submit yourself to Him. His promise, though, is is if you do that, you will never know darkness. As David puts it, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will not fear, for Thou art with me. When you have that light, there is no fear. Because you know your light can handle anything and everything this world brings you. Now before we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up with me and we're going to have a time of prayer. I've been asking you guys through this series as you pray to don't ask God for things. Ask Jesus to reveal Himself to you. Get real with yourself and ask yourself, have I been serving the Jesus of God's Word? 
Or have I been serving a Jesus that I've made up in my own mind? Have I been taking Jesus as he presents himself? Or have I been trying to make him something he's not? Make sure that your relationship is with the Almighty God and His Son Christ and not with someone else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.